This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Refer.com. If you want more clients and more business, check out Refer.com. You can receive a free report on the five biggest referral killers. Just go to Refer.com slash Eternal Leadership and try it for free for 14 days. In my approach, people uh, are the most valuable resource of an organization, and so it's not the first action is to take employees and cut them. The idea is, is to look at your productivity levels, your efficiency levels. But in some cases, um, we may look at, uh, well, how do we now transform some of the activities uh, that these employees may be involved in in order to uh, raise our bottom line and raise our efficiencies and productivity? Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Terrence Chapman. Now, my partner, John Ramstead, wanted to bring Terrence on because of Terrence's work as the president and CEO of Fellowship of Companies for Christ International. So, without further ado, here's how John got this conversation started on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Terrence Chapman. Terrence, welcome to the program. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, I was I was apologizing to Terrence because, you know, uh, in the hundred interviews that we've done so far, we've only lost one that's been, it just disappeared out of our cloud backup. So, Terrence, we were just talking. There's a reason for that. So I know today is just going to be incredible. Now, Terrence, you were... Uh, an executive at Coke, uh, then you started your own franchising company, Atlanta Bread, and then now you're at the uh, FCCI. Uh, but I remember when you and I spoke last time, your story and some of the things that shaped you growing up and what you have brought into the business and who you are as a person. Everybody listen, I'll just tell you right now, because uh, I've gotten to know Terrence, what he's going to share with you is just going to... Uh, give you such encouragement, uh, inspire you, give you hope. But really, at the end of the day, you're going to hear a story that's just going to show you that, you know what, uh, you can make a difference in this world, starting one life at a time, one company at a time, one nation at a time. So, uh, Terrence, what I'd love to do when we start here is, is just share a little bit about your background, where you came from. Uh, get, uh, have people uh, get to know you a little bit as we, we talk about some of the questions I have for you. Well, John, I, I thank you and Steve just for the opportunity. You know, being raised in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, grew up at a time uh, where there were certainly challenges uh, for African Americans uh, within the nation. Uh, but my, I had a, just a loving father and mother who my father was in business. He was actually with uh, one of the largest aluminum companies in, in the world. And uh, he taught me quite a bit about uh, business and leadership. And, uh, and he also put in my life others who would come alongside and, and uh, teach me the same. My mom was just an amazing school teacher and, and just invested in young adults and young kids. And uh, so to have them uh, in my life was a huge uh, benefit for me. You know, one of the things as he talked about business is that business could have an impact on not only uh, the business itself, but communities and nations. And his idea is that the, the culture of this, of this nation could be shaped through small businesses and business. In fact, of the 28 million businesses that's currently uh, accounted for in the U.S., 22 million of those 28 million are small businesses. They have 
probably less than 25 employees and less than a hundred thousand dollars or less than a million dollars in sales. And so, you know, the key uh, that he taught me early on is that it's never about the brand itself. It's always about people and people really make the business what it is. And the leadership within that business, number one responsibility is to invest and to nurture and cultivate the people that's in the, that's a part of the business. You know, those in a small business, Terrence, what does that look like? Because what you're talking about, and I love this whole concept, is uh, I remember somebody asked me once, who's had more influence on our culture, Bill Gates or the entire evangelical movement over the last 20 years? Mm. And as I thought about it, like, you know what? It's been Bill Gates. It's guys like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. It is not the church. But now you're talking about 22 million companies where if you have a leadership style uh, that's really dialed in to kingdom building, we can have a uh, really the end of the day, we can have a bigger influence in people's lives and in this culture than even even organizations as big as Microsoft and Apple. Well, absolutely. I mean, let's examine it. Uh, an average business, first of all, will touch not only their staff, their employees, but their consumers, their comp- competitors, their vendors, et cetera. In fact, the average uh, employee will touch roughly between about 10,000 people on average. And then you put that in perspective that from a staffing standpoint, the evangelical church may touch people. If I, if I give it a good week, maybe three to six hours per week, but a small business or a business will touch people, at least in America, 46 hours a week. So the potential of influence whether it be a small, medium, or large-sized business, is huge, right? Uh, the stats say almost 8,212 times more potential of influence than any other platform in the world, whether it be uh, church, whether it be schools, et cetera. There's about 5 million churches in the world. There's about 2,000 uh, uh, educational institutions in the world. And there's about three to 500 I'm sorry, two million educational institutions in the world and about three to five hundred thousand missionaries in the world. So when you look at the platform and you look at the potential and the power and the influence of all those different platforms, whether it be business, church, school systems, missionaries, et cetera. uh, And then you look at the power of the small business, which is the majority of businesses around the world. Uh, the, the small business owner and a small business can have greater impact than any other institution in the world. What an amazing platform. Uh, I couldn't agree more now. That, uh, that is where I would love to dive into. And really, we're going to get to some, some concepts and experience you've had to really equip business leaders, business owners, even people in management. Anybody, you know, a, a leadership position, I, you know, I love John Maxwell's definition it's you know if you have influence over one life you are in, you are a leader so uh, I think that describes almost everybody who could possibly be listening to this so before we get there Terrence though your personal story your story growing up in Chicago uh, really struck me I'd love for you to take us back a little bit and kind of set the stage for what what uh, what you went through and what your life was like and the, the, the role models you had that have led you to what you're doing today? Yeah, you know, if I think about even my faith walk, it started at a young age and uh, motivated by the love of candy. <laughs> so, 
My, my mom and I was coming home uh, from church one day and we stopped at a convenience store and uh, I asked her, could I buy some candy? And she said, sure. How much money do you have? I said, none. I'm six years old. <laughs> and uh, uh, so she says, hey, if you had some money in your pocket, then we could do that. And I said, well, I'm six years old. I don't have a job. How do I earn money? And she says, well, that, that's a good question. That means I'm, on, I'm in control and I choose not to get you any candy today. Uh, well, that, that kind of didn't work real well with me. So I said, <laughs> uh, but I was astute enough. I, I watched uh, individuals return what we call in Chicago pop bottles. Some people call them soda bottles, but uh, we call them pop bottles. And so I, I noticed at that time uh, people were redeeming these bottles for five or 10 cents. I can't remember the exact amount. And I also knew that at home we had several pop bottles uh, that we would throw out every week. And so I figured, why not start a recycling business uh, of pop bottles, right, and have my parents begin to sit out these bottles uh, on a daily basis. And then on Saturday, I would take them back to the store and get a refund, and that would be my my uh, candy money and, and so forth. And so uh, my mom said, absolutely, we can do that. Uh, but there's one stipulation, and that is 10% of it goes towards your tide. Mm. Now, I didn't know what a tide was, but I didn't like the idea <laughs> that uh, 10%, whatever that meant at that time, would go towards a tide. But again, she took that opportunity to, to uh, you know, to, to share with me what a tide was and the significance of that. And, and, and as a believer, uh, you know, this is what we do. And so I, I accepted that. And then dad came along and taught me a little bit about saving in business. He says, well, the other 10 percent needs to go towards a savings account. <laughs> so I'm thinking 10 to 10 is 20. That's not good. So but 20 out of 100. OK, it works for me. So he opened up one of these in the old days called a passbook savings account. And we began to save money that way. Anyway, to make a long story short, you know, what an opportunity for, for my parents to invest in me. And teach me about two critical things, tithing and savings. Yeah. And, that, and you were six years old. And I was six years old. And so that territory grew as I went to my neighbor's house and made the same proposition, which is set your bottles out. And, and they agreed to do so. Uh, and then I improved my transportation. I picked up a, a second shopping cart and a third shopping cart uh, and, and took those to the store. So I had to get distribution in the store and I had to get the store manager to accept so many bottles from me on a weekly basis on Saturday. Uh, and that accumulated to be quite a bit. In that process, uh, my friends noticed that I was kind of rolling in candy, and and uh, and so they wanted in on the action. So I said, absolutely, I can split my territory up with you. Now, remember, I'm only six, seven years old. I can split my territory up with you, and uh, by the way, it's going to cost you 10%. And I, I think I picked up that 10%. So I, I all of a sudden went into the franchise uh, recycling business, right, at six, seven years old, and, and, and did pretty well. Uh, but those <laughs> I'm curious. Did you have any problems with your your buddies being honest with how much they collected? Oh no, no, because we we all go to the uh, to the store together. And, oh, okay, and, to turn everything in and turn everything in. In fact, we 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 grew so large that we had to expand our transportation system to my father's station wagon and uh, and bring all the bottles. In fact, we we overloaded the store, and the store manager uh, kind of put a limit on us. And so we had to actually improve our distribution and, and gain other stores to return our, our pop bottles into. So, you know, my father took that experience and, and just really gave me valuable lessons. 
as to uh, business and how to manage a business and how to operate and how to keep records and and how to, you know, work with my buddies who, you know, who had come on board as franchisees, so to speak. Now, at that time, obviously, we weren't calling them franchisees and so forth. They were just buddies paying me 10 percent and, and my candy money was increasing. That was the most important thing to me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but but in that process, you know, uh, I think about it because some, you know, 20, 30 years later, here I am working for the Coca-Cola company as um, director of all national accounts on the quick service restaurant side. And and a lot of these experiences and, and teachings that my father and others brought into my life uh, shaped how I did business, how I thought about business, how I used my faith and integrated that into business. Uh, and it totally uh, uh, shaped how I functioned as a leader uh, within the business world, whether it be corporate entrepreneurship and now nonprofit. What, what would you know, as you said, that shaped how you did things, you know, as you got into business and, and also I'm sure you, you know, looked at business as usual. What were some of the differences that you've you've noticed? You know, early in my in my career, I have to admit that, you know, this idea of faith and business, I, ne- I had never thought about. In fact, the reason I sold my business at Atlanta Brick Company is because I was under the impression that those two just didn't mix. It was like, you know, oil and, and vinegar or something. And, uh, and so you water. saw it as secular and sacred and they were two separate entities. That's exactly it. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, we were raised that in order to if you wanted to go kind of into the spiritual side of that, you would go in seminary school or you would go into uh, the mission field. Uh, But you couldn't do that in business. And so I didn't have this idea or this this mindset, this worldview that I could live out my faith within within business and, Mm -hmm. and the environment of business. Uh, but what shaped that view was actually prior to even FCCI, F- uh, Fellowship of Companies for Christ International, uh, was my church. And my, my local church taught me that it's basically, listen, you are a Christian where you live, work, play and worship all aspects of life. And you are to live out your faith in all aspects of life, including business. And so now to, to have a priority beyond shareholder value, beyond how much profit I'm bringing in, and even caring for people, it goes beyond that, is how do I demonstrate, for example, the love of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, uh, Christ-like qualities, uh, even beyond integrity, just the way I approach people, the way I approach business, the way I approach the purpose of business has totally been transformed as a result of my connection with FCCI. So any examples of that? I, I'm sure people would love to hear some stories that are resonating with what you're saying, but they don't know maybe exactly what that might look like. No, absolutely. Because I know that you know the, the, you know, the sales, the R&D, the profits, I think those are, are still very important because you need to have excellence in business when the marketplace is your ministry because that gives you the credibility to share with somebody who's not a believer um, who might be a peer that you're meeting through a networking group or a YPO, and they're looking to you and saying, wow, your business is on fire. You know, what's going on? No, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things is, is um, one of our, our first principles is that God is the owner and we are mm-hmm. the steward of his company. Uh, and so when I, be, when I begin to look at business initially, you know, Coca-Cola was the owner. The shareholders were the owner. 
And so what's the number one goal to satisfy our shareholders? Profitability. Uh, in fact, profitability every quarter <laughs> right. uh, has to increase. And so what's my focus then? My focus is then on what? Profitability. Uh, and in most companies, uh, probably a large percentage of your company expenses are people. And that's why today you see uh, when company wants wants to shore up their bottom line, the first thing they do is think about cutting headcount. They think about cutting FTE, full-time equivalent employees, because it's the fastest way to get to the bottom line and, and raise it up uh, and not necessarily change uh, much of your processes and procedures, et cetera. Uh, well, in my approach, people... Uh, I'm the most valuable resource of an organization. And so, you know, it's not the first action is to take employees and cut them. The idea is, is to look at your productivity levels, your efficiency levels. Where are we getting uh, these type of efficiencies and productivities? Absolutely. But in some cases, um, we may look at, uh, well, how do we now transform some of the activities uh, that these employees may be involved in in order to uh, raise our bottom line and raise our efficiencies and productivity. To give you an example of that, yeah. uh, you know, when I was at the Atlanta Bread Company, uh, it's a very seasonal business, number one, in terms of, uh, and, and also what we call a day part, uh, daytime uh, day part business. In other words, you have a breakfast day part, a lunch day part, a dinner day part, and the majority of, of, a, of an Atlanta Bread Company is driven in the lunch period. So you downsize uh, breakfast and you downsize uh, dinner, but at the same time, you need the minimum staff in order to just maintain the same level of quality. Uh, and uh, what we decided to do was to have some very strong pay levels. In fact, today, you know, there's there's this push for uh, uh, workers to, to have a minimum wage of $12, $13, $14 an hour. You know, back then it was $5, $6 an hour. Yeah. Uh, I was running my company. And so we had already uh, implemented that type of process where we would pay our people well, we would uh, train them well, uh, and we would invest in them even beyond uh, Atlanta Bread Company operational processes. We would invest in their family. We would invest uh, in their in their marriage. We would invest in their parenting relationships, et cetera, and uh, send them to things like Weekend to Remember. We we send them. Uh, in fact, I remember representing some of my staff in legal situations, uh, not as a, an attorney, but as a as a witness and so forth, and and as a sometime as a bail agent, uh, uh, you know that sort of thing that uh, that they got caught up in. But I was involved uh, in their lives. I, I knew about their life, I knew about their family, I knew about their situation because I cared for them. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, I had the lowest turnover ratio uh, in the Atlanta Bread Company franchise system. Uh, my turnover, in fact, my average uh, full-time staff, I was uh, in business for 10 years, uh, they stay with me for 10 years. Uh, my biggest challenge is, boy, what do I do with these staff? Because each year you got to take their, their salary up. And so I yeah. ended up actually placing them and and to other leaders, to other franchisees. I actually end up uh, taking some of my top managers that I had developed and, and, and they began to run other franchisees' operations uh, as, as their staff. So I was, I was known. Well, that's that a pretty selfless position though that's definitely honoring them because they're a huge asset to your network of franchises that you own but you're taking one of these top people and moving them 
out of your organization because it serves them versus just being focused on uh, a decision that would be best for your your network of companies, correct? Absolutely, you know, but but we're and, and the beauty is we're stewarding. And if we really mm-hmm. st- steward people and we care for people and we love people, which is the first principle that my father taught me, it was really about do you love the people? And, you know, you have to love the people who work for you. You have to care enough for them that you would, just like Jesus, you would give them grace and mercy. But at the same time, you would give them discipline. You would give them training. You would give them opportunities to advance. And so we had that opportunity to steward those resources well, people resources in this case. And and as a result of it, not only were we able to have a strong operational within my franchise, but we were also able to help other franchisees uh, strengthen their side of the leadership uh, uh, positions. Uh, and it was a win-win for everyone, especially uh, the employee. Hey, have you ever had situations, Terrence, that, you know, coming from a perspective of love, um, you know, just some difficult situations where it was really hard to stick to that tenant in business? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I fell uh, quite often. And uh, but, you know, thank God he gives us this thing called repentance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of a get out of jail car. We can you know, we just have to admit that sometimes as we're, we're tr- attempting to live consistently under control of the Holy Spirit. And as Paul says, sometimes he, he just does things he, he don't want to do. And sometimes he, he's doing some things that he just can't do. And uh, and so we understand that. And uh you know, I, I often remember uh, times where I just simply could not, uh, you know, support, uh, you know, the increases that we were bearing over the 10 year period. But but the outcome for that was to find another solution, which was to to approach other franchisees and say, hey, could we help you uh, with some new leadership within your organization? It comes from my organization. Uh, but there's there's times that we couldn't make that type of adjustment. But uh uh, but there was a lot of times that we were able to do it in, in thinking about uh, situations. Now, there's times where we had to, you know, we invested in people and we gave them every opportunity, but they simply uh, did not move forward. And and so we were stewarding well by actually giving them an o- another opportunity to find another employer <laughs> that might treat them better. Uh, for example, in the, rest, in the retail restaurant business, it's very competitive. And, and our first store was actually in a mall. And guys were hopping from location to location, you know, business to business, in some cases over 25, 50 cents per hour. They were making uh, decisions uh, on their employment on their employment. And I, you know, I, I remember one employee coming down to me saying, Terrence, I'm going to have to move from full time to part time because the operator upstairs is paying me 25 cents more. And I said, well, I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is uh, I think that's great that he's doing that. And, and I think you should go work for him full time <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and reap the full benefits of that operation. And the bad news is you'll no longer be working here. Uh, you know, he, he went and did that for about a week or two and came back to me and said, Terrence, could I have my old job back? Uh, I now understand what you have coached me about. And uh, and I need to stay. Well, the problem with this individual is no one had ever poured into his life and cared for him as a human being. Mm. Uh, they saw him as a as a, you know, seven dollar employee. Uh, and that's how they treated him. 
and he saw that down in my shop, he would be treated much differently. He would be treated as though he had eccentric value, which was the second principle that my father taught me on the love is that everyone has eccentric value. Your job is to find it and to optimize it. And so I found this, this young man's eccentric value, how the Lord had gifted him and put him in a scenario where he could be successful. You know, when you're working, uh, I, I can see how, you know, uh, I've done that one-on-one with people. You've done that one-on-one with people. Um, where where the power really comes from is actually creating a culture that that's the way that your managers, your leaders, even the, the people, the entry-level people are actually operating from that same perspective. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you brought that kind of uh, dynamic into the culture. Well, I can give you an example when I was at Johnson & Johnson, how they brought it into the culture. I thought it was the best I've ever seen. I, I was around 21, 22 years old coming out of the University of Illinois, and I went to work for uh, Johnson & Johnson McNeil Consumer Products Company. It was the subsidiary that I went to work for. You would know them as Tylenol products. Mm-hmm. And in 1982, the, one of the most horrific, uh, tragic crises happened in this nation, uh, uh, seven deaths uh, due to uh, cyanide poisoning uh, of Tylenol capsules took yeah, place. I remember that. I go Illinois, and that was my territory. And uh, I remember watching Dr. James Burke, who was the president and CEO of Johnson & Johnson at that time, uh, who had formed a seven-man task force. And they would give coaching and direction as to where we would go on a daily basis in the, in, in the Chicago area. And I watched him as people talked about uh, the cost of, of kind of reactivating safety seal packaging into the marketplace and, and how are we going to recapture the market share. We had lost somewhere around 95, 96 percent of our market share within, 20, within a 24-hour period. Mm. And it would cost roughly around $150 million to recover and I remember as one individual talked about the price of recovery, Dr. James Berg stopped that individual in his tracks and said, listen, uh, remember our credo. Uh, it shapes our culture. And the first line in our credo is that our customers are the most valuable uh, people and the most valuable investment that we can make. And here we're dealing with our customers. So I don't care if it costs us $150 million or whatever. I never want to hear that question again. It's never the wrong time, he said, to invest and do the right thing for our people and for our consumers. Well, that stopped the conversation. But as a 21, 22-year-old guy, I I watched this man who I later learned was a Christian uh, who's now passed away, I believe, last year. But but I, what an amazing opportunity for me to witness what it means to lead a company for Christ, lead a company in a way that glorifies not only him through our, through our uh, character and values and so forth, but also to watch a publicly traded company leader take on that position and attitude. That would certainly be sacrifice involved. And, and there is sacrifice, there is dependency, there is surrendering of our own will and, and, and so forth and our own righteousness. Uh, and and turning that and saying, Lord, we trust you. We're going to turn this situation over to you. Prayer is our lifeblood of this situation. And we're going to trust that you have our back. Whether the circumstances are good, bad, or indifferent, we're going to trust the outcome is one that's going to glorify and honor you. And look at the results of it. We now have safety seal packaging as a standard in America and around the world because of this Tylenol incident. We have a leader who put a practice, a process in, in practice in place 
of high level of integrity. And within three months, we recaptured not only 100% of our market share that we lost, but it was like 113% of our market share that, that we had pre-incident. It was just an amazing textbook case. I believe uh, many of the colleges are still using that today. Well, you know, if you get down to the core issue, you know, what are the takeaways that we can apply right now was, um, who, who was the CEO? What was his name again? Uh, Dr. James Berg. So Dr. James Berg had real clarity on what his values were, what his vision, his purpose, his mission were. And these weren't statements that, you know, an act, you know, uh, exercise that the management team goes through to put on the wall somewhere. What he did was he embraced these, he communicated these, he made sure that this lived in the decisions that, that the company made, um, the perspective of which we're coming from. And I, I think that's the first place that we can start is getting clarity on what those values are, what that, you know, uh, whether you want to call it a calling or our purpose. Um, and, you know, and then we're making sure uh, that we're the decisions that we make are we bring back to that. And are they in alignment with that? No, you're exactly right. You know, that credo was more than just a, a nice, you know, banner on the wall. It was one that he encouraged us to live out on a daily basis, all the way down to, you know, my, my level, which was a territory manager at that time. And he understood that building the kingdom, it took priority over building an organization. That was one of his principles. Uh, and in his case, he never put it that way. He says, you know, building relationships and building customer experiences took priority over building J&J and building the organization. And he and here's the thing that, that really I admired as I look back on it is that he was a demonstrator of his belief, not just a talker. He was a demonstrator. He lived it out and he was motivated by uh, what I'm calling the love of Christ, just faith focus that was greater than him, obviously. Uh, at the time, he wasn't speaking in any type of Christian terms. But he was certainly motivated by something and had faith beyond himself and the organization that he understood. And he understood that the Lord was working in this process, although he never said those words to us. Well, you know, as you went through your career from J&J to be, you know, going up through and becoming an executive at Coca-Cola and then having your own being CEO of uh, your franchise companies through Atlanta Bread, what, what what was the process that led you from being a very successful you know business person CEO operator into what you're doing now at the Fellowship of Companies for Christ International? I'd love to hear more about FCCI and just educate everybody listening on just what an incredible organization resource that is. But I think your your journey from business into FCCI is really interesting. Yeah, you know, I I certainly didn't have any plans to leave corporate America. Uh, or even start my own business. I never had a, a passion to start my own business, to be quite candid with you. Um, and I Unless you like, could get more candy, of course. Unless I could get more candy. And, and, uh, and I certainly didn't want, I didn't have this passion to be a CEO of a company. In fact, I used to always tell my father, I never want to be a CEO of, of somebody else's company. But I, I, and I have no idea what it means to be a CEO of my own. You know, this, these are some interesting conversations. But uh, what took place is um, I had my Atlanta Bread Company franchise for 10 years. And year four, I felt the Lord just tugging on my heart in a special way, I thought, to go into ministry. 
but I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be an executive pastor, but I, I love youth and I wanted, I, I considered being a youth pastor, which I, I ended up being. And, uh, but he was tugging in my heart in a special way. Uh, to say, examine your life, assess where you are. It's almost like Revelation uh, says to one of the churches, assess where you are right now. Am I still your first love? And so I, I began to assess my life, and I realized that I was falling short of what he had called me to. So you'd fallen away from Christ being your first love? I, I thought I, th- I think I did, and and in the sense that the business had taken up so much of my time, I was investing 80, 90 hours a week to make this a successful business, and I felt that the business needed me there. I mean, the majority of business in a mall takes place Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and for months I was missing church. I was my wife was missing church as she was helping out. My kids were attending church. We had a, a good friend of ours taking our kids to church. And it, it just, man, it was, our life just really fell apart. I mean, I, church was not a priority. All of a sudden, uh, the business was a priority. Uh, getting this new French, you know, this new franchise up and running from scratch. Uh, we were not attending church. We were not attending Sunday school. We were not reading our Bible on a regular basis. We were not practicing the disciplines of a Christian that's praying on a regular. Well, we were probably praying quite often, but praying for our stuff, not his will. Uh, we were not attending church. We were certainly not worshiping as a community. We were certainly not reading his word because we were so quote unquote busy. And, and then I had, I, I missed that. And, and I was just in prayer and uh, I just felt the Lord tugging at me saying, don't forget your first love. And, and other things began to happen. And I thought he was calling me into ministry in, in a very bold way. And um, but I didn't want to go into be a pastor. I'm a, I'm a businessman and I wanted to, to be a businessman. But I didn't see uh, this opportunity to combine business and ministry. It, it just makes didn't make sense to me. And so I I began to actually look into situations where I would either enroll into school, uh, seminary school or to uh, look at other ways to serve. And in that process, I found myself, I found that I love business, that I could do business and ministry. In fact, my business was a platform for ministry. And I actually had a small church. Uh, at that time, I had three franchisees. I had you know, hundreds of employees. Um, and um, I had a small church. I just didn't think about it that way. So when you started to get that awareness that you just described, Terrence, was there anything that, you know, any... Uh Anything that kind of stopped you or just slowed you down as you're starting to look at business differently that you had to work through? Well, at first, what slowed me down, I had to look at my life. And as I was praying through this process, the Lord revealed to me kind of three idols that was in my life. Recognition, uh, awareness, you know, I wanted acknowledgement, you know, I wanted achievement, I wanted all those things. And uh and as I was praying through, he says, I can't use you at all in ministry. At this time, I had been in ministry. I've been working as a youth director and so forth. And, and, and I, I had, uh, you know, very active in the church. And, and as I went to kind of pursue my calling, he says, I can't, I can't use you at all. And I remember on the basement floor, uh, and he, you know, thinking, man, I'm, I'm 80%. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm doing all the disciplines you're asking me to do. He says, no, I can't use you at all without a hundred percent. You need to be totally focused and dedicated to me. So what did a hundred percent look like? 
It meant uh, moving to these things, great sacrifice, great surrender, great humility, mm. and great dependence on me. Those were the four words that kept coming to my mind. It's not dependent on you and your righteousness. It's my righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness, not yours. It's great sacrifice. It's doing the things not that you love or people that you love. It's the people you don't love and the people you don't want to do. Uh, it's great surrendering to my power and my will, my desire, not yours. Uh, my outcome, not yours. And, and, uh, and my type of love, not your type of love. And I just remember falling flat on my face in the basement saying, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for my arrogance. Forgive me for my disobedience. Forgive me uh, for my pride. And, and all of a sudden, I just felt this, you know, this weight off my shoulder and, 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 and just a loving, caring father saying, uh, I'm here for you and I can use you in a mighty way. In fact, that was my prayer. Use me in a mighty way. And my wife said, whoa, 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 be careful about that. We, we don't want to end up in Africa with some fig leaves or something, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so I remember, you know, I remember her saying that. I said, you know, I, I'm yours. Use me in a mighty way. And interesting enough, he would put me with FCCI many years through a prayer partner, uh, my predecessor, uh, who was the president and CEO for FCCI, uh, called me one day and told me about his transition and asked me to be in prayer for him, which I did. And as a result of that, a long story short, about six months later, I ended up joining FCCI as president and CEO, which I had never any uh, interest or expect. I couldn't even spell FCCI. Uh, six months prior to that. And so uh, that led me to investigating, boy, we could actually take faith and integrate that in business. This is amazing. I know business. I got to figure out how to do this other thing. And so uh, FCCI with 38 years of rich history and, and, and men and women who have been doing this, integrating these biblical principles, understanding what a kingdom leader was and what a kingdom company is and how to get there. Uh, it just fascinated, fascinated me. And uh, it's been a great journey uh, as we've been walking for the last four and a half years. So uh, share more about FCCCI, what they are, what their mission was. If I'm a business owner right now, and a lot of the things you've just talked about with your journey, uh, you know, seeing the integration of the secular and the sacred, seeing your company uh, potentially, you know, as this church and the people that work for you almost as your congregation that you get to shepherd what, what does FCCI play in that role of people that, that want to take that same journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you talk about Fellowship of Companies for Christ International, we're really a global movement of CEO and business leaders, and we're united by a single vision, and that vision is to see the world being transformed through Christ, one business leader at a time. So it's his power, it's his authority that, that is happening through us and in us. And so our mission is we're in pursuit of what we call these Christ eternal objectives, uh, evangelism, sharing the gospel through business, discipleship, uh, doing life on life together on a weekly basis for an hour and a half and going deep with one another. And then finally, we call it uh, service, where our business platform is now used to serve the people and the community that we're doing business in so that that community would not look would look totally different than it does today uh, as, as a result of that business being there. And so our role, understanding that these Christian business leaders are, are looking for Christ's eternal objectives, meaning more, temp, more eternal objectives versus temporal objectives, i.e., uh, 
building this financial stewardship versus just shareholder value. What we do is we equip them and we encourage them and we pray with them uh, and provide them the tools and resources that they need and the processes that they need to operate uh, under those guidelines. And so uh, we're teaching them how to become kingdom leaders and how to become uh, how to transform their business to become a kingdom company. For example, what does a kingdom leader look like? Uh, this is a mature and equipped servant leader who lives consistently under control of the Holy Spirit. They're a demonstrator of God's word. They're motivated by the love of Christ and faith focus. They've discovered this larger purpose for their work and their business. And so we help them through that process, right? They're evangelistically bold. I mean, that's what makes it a Christian business. It's not just integrity. We expect integrity in a business, whether you're a Christian or not. Yeah. But the type of integrity we're talking about is much deeper. Uh, they're using their business as a platform for ministry. They're family faithful. Uh, this is a holistic approach. So we're, we're working in terms of family issues. I tell you, if the family's broken, uh, your business and your leadership is going to be affected. Uh, they're gospel-driven. They're spiritually responsible. And they're conscientiously focused on kingdom capital and financial stewardship. That's what a kingdom company, those are some, some attributes of a kingdom leader, right? Now, a kingdom company it really has a different set of core values than a, than a traditional company, if you will, or secular company, we would call it. Whereas in a, in a secular company, God isn't the owner. The shareholders are the owner or the, or the company owner, or the, entrepreneur, the CEO is the owner. Where in our companies... They understand that God is the owner and we're the steward. And that takes them really about a year or two to really understand that and turn it fully over to him. Uh, prayer becomes the lifeblood of that business and relationship with the owner. Every decision is being bathed in prayer, not just the big ones. Every decision. In fact, we're coming to him saying, Lord, where are you moving and how can we join you versus saying, here's my plan. Bless it, <laughs> you know. Uh, integrity is a non-negotiable commitment to excellence. We want to do this with excellence. We want the Lord to be seen uh, in the way we do business as an excellent. You know, why aren't we the innovators in the marketplace? Why aren't we, uh, you know, the leaders in these categories and, and known for excellence? Why aren't kingdom businesses uh, known for that? I mean, i.e. Chick-fil-A is known for their level of service excellence. OK. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, we want folks to concentrate that, that you are a business. You need to make money. Yes, that is one component. But there's a larger component, and that is that you're in the souls business. You're investing in people. Uh, you're sharing and uh, your values and you're demonstrating that. And you're sharing the love of Christ with these individuals. And one day that's going to be your fruit. That's your fruit. That's your that's the crowns that will be placed at the feet of, of Jesus. And you talked about uh, sometimes it can be up to a one or two year process for people that FCCI works, works with as they're going through this to really uh, get to that point where they see God as the, the owner of this company. What, you know, as people go through that process, um, uh, CEOs, business leaders, what are some of their biggest challenges or roadblocks uh, that slow them down on that journey? It's those four words I mentioned. Uh, it's humility. Uh, sometimes there's great pride. I, I say, let me give you that. The biggest roadblock is self. Mm -hmm. uh, because in ourself, we will see pride. We will see arrogance. We will see lack of humility. We will see great passion. But we still want 
to run the shop. It's our business, right? It's our sweat equity. It's our money. It's our loss, right? Uh, and so what you what you will typically, the biggest challenge we face is two things, self. And the second thing, I'll take it from a, uh, from a text verse, is Matthew 6.24. What we try to do is serve two masters. We have a love for money and love for business, and we have a love for God. And it clearly says you can't serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or, you know, there's going to be a situation. And that's that's what we find is our biggest challenge is helping them to understand that their greatest challenge is self and Matthew 624. I think that's so powerful. And I would just really encourage everybody to go out there. And there'll be a link in the the show notes for this at eternalleadership.com. But go to FCCI.org. Uh, but maybe you can just spend a few minutes on, uh, you know, how somebody c- can engage with you, what they get from FCCI, what it means to kind of be a member company in, in FCCI, Terrence. Yeah, absolutely. We have some very minimum uh, rates for membership, and we base it on company uh, size of employees, not revenue. Uh, so we have two uh, kind of formats, but uh, $400 a month or $1,200 a year. Uh, you can become a member. We're a membership subscription organization. You become a member of FCCI. And what's included in that, the benefits of that, is we will walk and help you walk through this kingdom leader, kingdom company model process. Uh, we have probably one of the largest library of, of resources for business leaders in the world. Uh, we have a platform in, in 103 countries now. Uh, so we have, uh, uh, we have best practices, if you will, uh, that's not only uh, domestic, but also international. Uh, so we can teach you uh, different principles and different uh, cultural issues uh, worldwide uh, and how to deal with those. We have tons of, of case studies and, and uh, resources we can provide. We also have a world-class conference uh, that you save significantly on, 20% on, by being a member. Uh, and that is uh, typically held in September uh, we have just some amazing speakers, breakout sessions, interactive uh, relationships taking place uh, through our conferences. So worldwide conferences, relationship, discipleship, life on life uh, process on a weekly or biweekly basis depends on the group leader uh, and just probably the best resources that you could find. Uh, as a business leader, we have 38 years of, of doing this. And so we finally kind of figured out a couple of things. Uh, we're still learning every day and we're producing new resources. So those are some of the benefits, but the rest are, are labeled and uh, uh, you'll find them on our website at FCCI.org. Yeah, and I love your mission statement because it's so in alignment with the mission statement that God gave me after I recovered from my accident was going through. But it's really, you, you want to equip inspire and encourage Christian business leaders to operate their business and conduct their personal lives. So that's the self, right? In accordance with biblical principles. And you, and you, and you definitely help people to do that. The, the information that you have is really second to none. So I'd really encourage people that are listening. Go, that is one of, of the few uh, places that we're really encouraging people to go check it out, plug in, you're going to get equipped. So as we wrap up, uh, Terrence, any just final comments you'd like to leave with people who've been listening to this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Juan, for the opportunity. You know, 38 years ago, um, this whole movement started with uh, five business leaders 
who then went to uh, seven people, but two of them were non-business leaders. Uh, you may recall Larry Burkett, who started Crown Financial, yep. joined the organization, and Ron Blue. Uh, and then five other uh, just Christian business owners. They were just simply seeking the answer to what does it mean to lead a company with integrity? What they didn't know and, and didn't realize is that the Lord was forming a marketplace ministry movement through them. And now FCCI has is the largest marketplace ministry platform in the world. Um, and, and he's shown us, you know, what, what it means to be a kingdom leader and kingdom company. We've learned quite a bit over these years. And so I would just simply say, if you're looking to lead a company for his glory, FCCI is a great place to start. We're not the only answer out there, uh, but we're certainly one that has the experience, has the history, has the products, have the library, has the, the process to help you get there. And, and we love to, uh, we love to talk to you, and uh, you can even email me at Terrence, T-E-R-E-N-C-E, at FCCI.org, and I, I can help you personally as well. Whether you're a secular business or a Christian business, obviously we focus on Christian businesses, but I have quite a bit of experience uh, with some major companies with J&J, Citibank, and Coca-Cola, and my own uh, company. I'd love to just help you in any way. Well, uh, there's a lot of scenarios, too, especially in these bigger companies. I was actually just meeting with one of our clients. It's a Fortune 500 company, but one of the leaders is a believer. Everybody else on the management team is not. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, from that position, when you're in the minority, mm-hmm. start creating transformational change in the culture, uh, you know, that starts, you know, creates that culture that bears fruit. Um, and it, I, and we talked about this before. When you start doing that, and there's ways to do it. It's not as difficult or as hard. And here's the great news. There's people that have done it who've gone before you that you can learn from. That's what I call wisdom, learning from other people's experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would just tell people to be encouraged. There are some there's definitely a path forward that's going to connect with this longing God's put on your heart to, to like you talked about, you, you know, that whatever position you're in at a small company, a huge public company, you can make a kingdom impact. Oh, actually, let me give you a very quick example. And yeah. You may not have time, but at Coca-Cola, you know, we were led at that, at, at a point with a Christian owner, a uh, Christian CEO, obviously the shareholders with the owner. Uh, but as a result of that, uh, 300 leaders within the Coca-Cola network was meeting uh, on a monthly basis and having prayer time and, and, f- and forming uh, uh, relationship groups and discipleship groups in order to take certain issues uh, to the Lord in, in prayer. That was at a, at, a, at a publicly traded, one of the, in fact, the number one publicly traded beverage company in the world, Coca-Cola. Uh, where 300 leaders came together and implemented this process. Uh, so it can be done. Uh, the Lord is a, the almighty God with full authority. And people within business, they want what we have. They may not know how to get there, but they want what we have. One of the biggest things we're finding in China is that they, they call it morality and ethics. They crave it. They crave it. They just don't want you to put Christian on it. But they crave morality and ethics. We have something greater than morality and ethics. Uh, And uh, if we practice the love of Christ, 
to just just loving and caring on our people, I guarantee you will change the culture and it will change the way you think about business, run business, operate business, manage business. Awesome. Uh, Terrence, thank you so much for your time. That was great. I hope people really plug in. There's so much more we could do two or three more interviews just on some of these deep dives into some of these areas, but uh, just really encourage people to plug in. Thank you for who you are, and, and really thank you for your time today, Terrence. Appreciate you, John, and uh, blessings to you. If you'd like to learn more about Terrence or FCCI, you can find the links in our show notes, eternalleadership.com slash 097. That's eternalleadership.com slash 097. And if you're listening on a smartphone, tablet, or computer, you can find that link embedded in the summary of this MP3. Special thanks to everyone that's reached out to us via LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. John and I love hearing your stories and love to partner with you in prayer. Reach out on Facebook, facebook.com slash eternal leadership or Twitter at John Ramstead or at eternal leaders or join our private LinkedIn group. Just type in eternal leadership in the search box. Like I said, this is all about you and we love hearing your stories, your guest suggestions and partnering with you in prayer. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Refer.com. When my partner was building a $300 million book of business as a financial advisor, he used spreadsheets, calendars, CRM, etc. to manage relationships and get business and referrals. Refer.com automates all that work in relationship management. Both John and I use Refer.com and we can't recommend it highly enough. Try it for free for 14 days. Refer.com slash eternal leadership. And as I said at the top, if you go to that link, you can receive a free report on the five biggest referral killers. Refer.com slash eternal leadership. Next time on Eternal Leadership, we bring Daryl Lyons back on the show. City of San Antonio is, is seventh largest city in the country. There's one point four or five million people, very big city, a lot of small business. And the San Antonio Business Journal did a study and said we were the number two best place to work in the city of San Antonio. Number two out of a lot of small businesses. We were not number one because I did not buy my employees a car. So uh, that's <laughs> that's how we lost. And, and we were at the banquet celebrating this and they said, well, if you want to win next year, that's what you got to do. Um, but I but 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 I realized I go, man, we do have a good culture. So I started to say, you know, I'm going to really I'm going to really think about what we've done here and 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 share this with other people. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs> <laughs>